0: Welcome back to the Pass Catcher Podcast. I'm Aaron Kirkpatrick. Joining me today, Sammy Shulman. Sammy, you look great. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, and I'm looking good, and you're looking well yourself. Beard's coming in.
0: Uh, I actually just trimmed it up yesterday, but I appreciate that. How was no class Wednesday?
1: No class Wednesday, always fun. How was 240-minute class Wednesday?
0: Uh, Tiring, but you know what? Finished it off with an intramural game, got the win there. Uh, Our team got called for about six technical fouls. Two six men on the floors, three curses, like profanity, and I don't remember what the fourth one was, or the sixth one that wasn't uh tech, uh cursing or six men on the court. So
1: seems like you should be stepping up as more of a player coach at this point, more of a Bill Russell figure in the Well, room. I did. I I
0: noticed the team couldn't shoot. We switched into a man uh not man, a zone coverage. I played the bomb of the zone so I could command the zone, you know. Went well. Uh hit the three, shimmied. One of our guys said, shimmy something, shimmy shake, and they thought he cursed. That was one of our technicals for him saying shimmy shake. So, you know, it was a game. But so Sammy, today's podcast is going to be slightly different than the last two just because time was a bit of an issue. So we are going to start with the Midwest, and we're going to do the first couple rounds so that we are in the Sweet 16. Uh, Then we're going to transition to the East for the Sweet 16. And then next week, we're going to be doing at least one more podcast on the Sweet 16 using what we at least two, one or two more podcasts covering finishing out what we have for the Midwest and the East, plus recapping what's already happened and talking about how our picks in the South and the West went. So I know that's a lot to process, but that's what we're going with. So let's just kick it off right now, Sammy. Midwest, Kansas is up against Texas Southern. Uh, Is this a question? Like, you know, Aaron, we were talking earlier about which ones of the top
1: three seeds we thought might lose, and I don't think any of the ones came up. And although Kansas is one of the more vulnerable one seeds, at least compared to the top of the bracket, Texas Southern is the worst team we've had the privilege of discussing thus far. Um, They're terrible. I don't know. Coach Johnny Jones, nice to see him and his family, you know, getting their third tournament win in four years. Uh, No offense to that guy, but. Not sure it counts if it's the first four, at least not the same way. But, you know, Texas Southern, definitely not a rollover program considering where they come from in the slack. Uh, But compared to Kansas, which is just a perennial, you know, stud kind of program, a blue blood, there's nothing really to talk about here. I mean, yeah, you have any uh, differing opinions there? I will say, you know, Texas Southern did shock the world and beat Florida. In, uh, in Florida earlier this year, back in December. But we're talking about a Florida team that ended up missing the tournament altogether, not a one-seed coming off a Big 12 title like the Kansas Jayhawks.
0: Yeah, no objection here. As you mentioned, Kansas, maybe not the strongest one-seed in this bracket. And that's definitely going to ha- be something we talk about, where or not they face San Diego, Creighton, Iowa, Richmond, Providence, South Dakota State, any of those teams. So we're going to get to those. But Kansas is just – that's the knockdown. Next up, we've got San Diego State who fell short in the Mountain West uh, championship versus Creighton who fell short in the Big East championship. I personally have San Diego State here. Uh, Creighton's really well coached. McDermott did a great job getting them to the finals of the Big East tournament. I just think the defensive capabilities of the San Diego State roster are going to be way too much for Creighton. You saw them struggle against a defensive team like Villanova. I think what the halftime score was like, 19 to 18, 19 to 17. Now I know some of that comes from missed shots, a ball rimming in and out, missed free throws. There's plenty of things that contribute to an under 20 point score for each team in the first half. But the point is they went up against a tenacious Villanova defense. You've got to say the same about the San Diego State defense. It's extremely talented, extremely lanky. I, I don't see how you don't take San Diego State here personally.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense that San Diego State, what they do best is what matters most in March, and that's defense. We're talking about a team in Creighton that's used to, under Coach McDermott, having a high-flying offense. We're talking about an offense Ken Palm-wise in 2019 was top 50. Before the pandemic shut down to 2020, it was ranked third. And last year it was top 25. This year it falls outside the top 100, and it's weird to me. And it's kind of impressive, though, from Coach McDermott that he has this team, you know, in a position to win the Big East last week, beating Providence, you know, who we all know is a little bit overrated, but still a solid win for that program in a neutral court environment. And we're talking about a Korean team that's actually top 20 in defense. And so it's going to be weird to see how that plays out. It could be a bit of a, a rock fight per se, but San Diego State plays the second best defense in terms of justice efficiency in the entire country. And offensively, they are a little bit of a one-man show with Matt Bradley. I mean, he plays 77% of their minutes and takes over 30% of their shots. But I think in this setting, that should be enough for them to be able to get it done in a truly neutral court environment. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much else there is to say other than, you know, Creighton has been playing well despite losing Ryan Emhard, whose brother, of course, is lighting it up in Gonzaga. He was no slouch either in the Big East. Uh, But, you know, without him, I think missing that point guard leader on the floor is going to come back to bite them in a, in a close matchup of an eight, nine.
0: Yeah. Something else that I just have to mention about this defense, Sammy, they're second in the country in points against that 57.7 per game. Like that's absolutely insane. Their defensive rating is 87.7, which is first in the country. So top defense. And I, you can lend some of that to a mountain West style of play, which is slow gritty, but it doesn't change the fact that the, the Aztecs play lockdown defense and you can't change my mind that like creighton has got to get hot from three if you if I really think they have any chance of winning that that's my yeah, and like I said, and then, this
1: is usually Creighton teams are capable of doing that and this one's not really that kind of team so
0: they've got more strength, strength
1: I'll take the team with the higher strength
0: they've got one player who I can't remember his name on Creighton it's number 44 uh I'm pretty sure he was like d2 all-American last year uh Ryan Hawkins who he can knock down the three ball. And he'd be the one guy I would be scared of getting hot if I was San Diego State. But otherwise, I wouldn't have much of a concern. Let's move on to the next matchup, though. Five-seed Iowa, Big Ten winners up against Richmond, who played their way into the tournament, having, if you remember, first team out of the tournament, Dayton. Who did Richmond pull off a second-half comeback against in the semifinals of the A-10? Dayton. Dayton played themselves out of the tournament. Richmond played themselves in into the 12 seed, up against the extremely hot Iowa. Sammy, I'm all over Iowa, but you, at least when we were talking when the bracket first came out, you did not seem as keen on them. How do you feel right now about this matchup?
1: Well, at this matchup, I absolutely love Iowa. Um, But, like, I was kind of a weird case, because you know how I felt about them at one point in the year. Um, And, you know, there was a point where early February or mid-February, they still didn't have a quad one win on the resume. Since that point, though, they have plenty of Guatemalans. I mean, they won at Ohio State. They won in Michigan. And then they took care of Purdue in a neutral court environment, which is, uh, you know, a hard feat to do, obviously. This is a great Iowa offense. And people talk about how it's, you know, an improved defense and improved this improved that. That's fine. And it is true. But it doesn't change the fact that on the year, in terms of predictive metrics, they're not a top 75 defense in the country. And they rely a lot on the offense, and the offense is capable of carrying them. I mean, Keegan Murray is an absolute stud. There's no two ways about it. You know, brother Chris, not no slouch either. They have McCaffrey, who's the classic coach's son story. Jordan Bohannon. You know, they're they have no I, they have no shortage of opportunity to score.
0: I just have to say one thing about Jordan Bohannon. He is probably the X factor for me for this team. You saw how hot he got during the Big Ten tournament if a team cannot contain him and he is hitting the three point shots that he hit big 10 tournament, like big 10 final semifinal, final, just all over like this Iowa team, their ceiling can be extremely high. Like I haven't made my full decision for as far as I think they're going to go, but it's, I'm not crazy personally, in my opinion, to see them being a sweet 16, if not an elite eight team this year. They're just so extremely talented offensively that maybe a team, if let's say San Diego state beats Kansas and then Iowa has to go up against them in the, that would be the sweet 16. Maybe that's their issue against an extremely talented defensive team, but against the Kansas, I could see an Iowa out shooting them and moving on. I don't think that's necessarily too crazy, but that's just my personal opinion. Do you, What do you think the floor for this – do you think Richmond could upset them? Do you think, like, the floor is the first round for Iowa? What, what's your thought on that? I mean, I can say with a
1: certain amount of confidence that – and just based on expectations around the team after winning the Big Ten in the fashion they did and just the draw they got in that little section there, I think anything short of a Sweet 16 would be a disappointment. Um, and their floor, you know, that's a tough way to put it because they are a five seed, and five seeds are vulnerable because they're playing hot teams that played their way into the tournament like Richmond, but I would be shocked if they lost to Richmond. And I frankly would be shocked if they lost to Providence or South Dakota State. I don't know if that's a little bit of a spoiler or not, where I think I pumped the brakes is the notion that I was the best team um, in the whole region, which you see a lot of, I mean, there's an, in terms of non top four seeds, nobody's picked to the final four more than Iowa amongst all brackets. And so like at a certain point, it's like, is it really the underdog if a lot of people are looking at them?
0: Well, I think that will lend its case to the next matchup. And I'm just, that's a perfect segue, Sammy. And we, we'll get back to Iowa when we talk about their round of 32 matchup. South Dakota State University, the amount of TikToks, tweets, Instagram posts, conversations I've had, everyone is on South Dakota State to upset Providence in the round of 64. And now they are still an underdog. It's still an upset like because they are such a, it's a nine seed difference. But do you think that still fits the bill of what you're talking about, where if everyone's picking them, how much of an upset is it?
1: So when I when I'm really trying to define like what truly is an upset in terms of what the public is picking someone to do versus what's actually expected to happen, like analytically speaking, South Dakota State's not the same example as something like Iowa being predicted to make the final four on CBS 10 percent of the time, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you think about it, it is. Um, South Dakota State's only being picked about 27% of the time, and that's according to CBS, to advance against Providence. And I agree that, like, in our circles, it's a little bit more popular. But when you talk about the public as a whole, they're never – like I said, you said to me, is Providence going to be picked less than South Dakota State? I said that's never going to happen with any 413. That's just the notion – or not the notion necessarily, but that's just how March Madness goes. And, you know, it's rightfully so that the smart, you know, analytically thinking people are saying – South Dakota State, this is a spot for an upset. We're talking about a Providence team that is the luckiest team that any of us can remember. I mean, from Ken Palm, who has a luck standpoint metric, they're the luckiest team in the country. Um, and that's, they're not only are they the luckiest team in the country, but they're the luckiest team in the last 10 years. Uh, according to Action, there was an article I read where they had, they had Providence ranked around a 10 seed in terms of predictive metrics. And this is a four seed, whereas South Dakota State's an under thirteen. You know, Murray State has two less losses, sure, but what about the South Dakota State is so much different than a 10 seed like Murray State or a 7 seed like Murray State?
0: Yeah. You know, you kind of got me stumped there. with the. What I'm stuck on is the predict where they said Providence should probably be a 10 seed. To me, I think all the seeding, getting them at that 4 seed is solely based off the fact that they – as – it's Ken Palm has them as the luckiest team, correct? If I'm not mistaken, luckiest team in the last decade plus. So, kind of, I'm going to reference back to our fantasy football talk, Sammy, because, you know, we start as a fantasy football pod. Myself, uh, I think both seasons, this past two years, you and Matthew did a great job coming up with that whole luck factor statistic. I think I was considered one of the luckiest teams the year I was the one seed, made it to the finals. This last year, I was one of the luckiest teams and made it to the semifinals, one up against you, great opponent, you end up winning the league. But the point is, I'm not trying to compare myself to Providence, but it's the idea of just because a seed is high doesn't mean that tells the whole story. And Providence being the 10 seed, I think is more accurate in comparison to some teams that we saw at a lower seed, um, i.e. Michigan. I feel like Michigan's probably a better team than Providence. Providence just happened to win the Big East title, and I definitely... Get that deserves respect in the seeding. But them as a four seed is kind of high to me. And to me, that's why I still will be picking South Dakota State. And I'm sorry if I didn't directly answer your question. I was kind of hung up on that part about the 10 seed. But do you feel the same with me about the sense? I, I was just picking Michigan as a random team because I think they're good. And I think they could get a run in this year. But do you feel the same in the sense like, I can't really word my question, but that basically their four seed comes from the fact that they won the Big East.
1: I mean, yeah, they won the Big East regular season title, which was very impressive, but it's the manner in which they did it that is extremely unimpressive, right? And so when you ask me, like, is Michigan a team that's kind of like Providence? Michigan's a team, and maybe I'm overusing Palm. It's quite possible because there is just – if I quickly even go back a step further and talk about your comparison between fantasy football and this, when it comes to you and fantasy football and, and luck, that is – absolutely without a doubt due to regress to a mean because there's no such thing as you being clutch in fantasy football in terms of you seeing that you're down and your players stepping up that's nothing if you know what I mean but Providence they absolutely have a group of guys that make clutch shots behind them makes plays in the clutch they have guys that are able to drill those shots and come through and they shoot free throws all well, right so it's a little different I'm not saying that Providence has absolutely no reason to be here but in terms of predictive metrics once again just I'm just going to name you a few teams Aaron that have a higher 10-pound rank than them, okay? Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Dayton, Wake Forest, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. What do all these teams have in common?
0: They didn't win as many games, didn't win their conference, and and they're on the tournament. They missed the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And these are all teams that
1: are better teams that had different results. And if you look at all these teams, most of them had negative luck factor, whereas Providence had a plus .194, which I don't understand it fully, but to me that means they're 20% better than they should be. Um, And so when you look at a team like South Dakota State, what do they do well? It's offense, offense, offense all the time. They're 12th in the nation in offense coming from the Summit League, which is a great offensive conference. But when you adjust it, usually that kind of tapers back. They're number one when it comes to three-point percentage. Aaron, they're shooting 44%
0: as a team. That's absurd. That is one of the craziest numbers. You're lucky if you have a single player even shooting above 40 at any point in a season who's taking yeah, I mean, cuz how many ta- how many shots are they taking from 3 this year do you know I mean plenty
1: they have they're, they have they're shooting
0: easily. sorry All i right. just found it 40 so it's 44.9 on tw- basically 21 attempts they're making 9 so that's 27 points a game right there which is just such a high clip they're shooting 60% or 52% from the field in general sammy their only glaring issue shooting wise is 76% from the free throw line but they take 20 a game and they make 15 of them missing five, three throws a game is not the end of the world. In my opinion, personally, I think this is an extremely talented team.
1: Yeah. And if you just look at their, you know, performance as of late, there is not a hotter team in the country, right? They swept their conference completely. They swept their conference tournament and it's the depth to me. That's so astounding. And it's, it's depth of experienced players too. Um, you're talking about guys who are only used to 12 to 15 percent of possessions, which is very low for a guy like Charlie Easley, who shoots almost 100 three-pointers this year. And is shooting over 50 percent from three, Aaron. Baylor Shilerman, I don't know if I'm butchering that or not. That, to me, is the guy to look out for. When I was watching them in the conference tournament, the way they play is so fascinating and so smart to me. They have Douglas Wilson, who's their best player, supposedly, who commands the post. They have four shooters around him. He'll get offensive rebounds at an insane rate and they're a well-oiled machine offensively. I mean, Providence deserves a draw this hard, and we'll see if they can overcome it one more time, but I think you're crazy to pick Providence when 75% of people are picking them and they're only four and a half favorites.
0: I also think another thing that you have to consider when picking, uh, if you're using ESPN or most bracket styles, it's only 10 points for a first round, 20 points for a second round. Let's say you, either way, you really, like myself, you like Iowa, and you think they're going to be Providence or South Dakota State either way, take South Dakota state, get a chance to be contrarian to those in your bracket group and pick up a quick 10 points. Because like you and I think South Dakota state's going to win this game. I think Iowa probably still probably will do extremely well against South Dakota state, though. I can't imagine how high a scoring of a game that might be South Dakota state could overtake them. But either way, this is a point, a place in your bracket in the first round to pick up a couple points against the other people in your group. Take it. That, that, that's that's all I got to say. And I, I love Sammy. The fact that we probably just spoke five plus minutes about a 13 seed tells you how impressive they are offensively. Baylor Shireman, I'm pretty sure, is a decent NBA prospect from what I've read. It, it's going to be a fun game to watch, and I re, I kind of hope South Dakota State runs them out the gym. I think that'd be so cool. Next matchup. Yeah, I mean, it would,
1: it would oh, be kind ahead. of a poetic justice, though, if they did lose a close matchup with how well they've had many close matchups this year.
0: Yeah. Next matchup, Louisiana State University versus Iowa State. So here's my thing, at least about LSU and Iowa State. I don't I've never been a fan of either of them this season. This four this grouping of four teams, LSU, Iowa State, Wisconsin, Colgate. Colgate's awesome. They've they've dominated the Patriot League, and I'm really happy for them. They've got themselves in our 3-14 matchup where they have a chance last year. It was Arkansas this year, it's Wisconsin. I don't love any of the four teams in this grouping, and so uh, I don't mean to pass you the rock again to start it off. But I'm going to ask you to start this one off again too, because I'm not sure where to go, and I feel like you could probably convince me pretty well either way with this one, because I don't feel like either of them are all that good.
1: So I think this is actually like whether you think they're good or not, this matchup specifically is very fascinating to me because I think we can all kind of agree, right, that the Big Twelve and um, the SEC were the two best conferences this year, right? Obviously, no the 10 was great, too, and had a ton of great teams. But in terms of top-line talent, every game tough, it's those two. And so you look at LSU, who started amazing at a conference, 12-0, right? And then kind of stuttered through the conference schedule, only going 9-9 in conference. Parallel that to Iowa State, same deal. They started 12-0 as well, exact same record, and stumbled to a 7-11 and uh, conference record. And so – Why do either of these teams even belong in the bracket? Because the teams that they lost to are great teams, right? And so these are two teams I think are actually a little bit underrated. I think Iowa State is about an 11 seed, yes, because at the end of the day, if you go 7-11 in your conference, you can't be much better. But Isaiah Brockington is a senior and a stud, and he's a classic guy in college that you never want to go up against. Uh, Iowa State has a 10th best defense. It seems like anywhere you look in the Big 12 and Mountain West, you have top defenses, but particularly what they do well defensively is they don't allow teams to get hot from three-pointers, and they force plenty of turnovers. With that being said, I like what LSU has going on a little bit more. I think they have a lot more offense. First of all, Tari Eason, I think, is the best player in this matchup, not Isaiah Brockington. Xavier Pinson's back and healthy. Darius Days I'm a big fan of as well. And they're a little more deep with your guy Efton Reed coming off the bench and whatnot. Um, what it comes down to, though, as to exactly why I think LSU not only will win this game – but actually has a chance to, like you're saying, make it out of this relatively weak 14 window and, you know, make it a sweet 16 is their defense. While I was as 10th, their defense is the fourth in the nation. And people don't really talk about their defense at all. People don't talk about the SEC's defense nearly enough. LSU, Tennessee, Auburn, these are excellent defensive teams. And for Tennessee or for LSU rather, it's the same thing. They don't allow teams to shoot threes. They have the number one steal percentage and they run the fast break. Well, and that leads them to still a top 100 offense, which is pretty respectable in the grand scheme of things. When you look at Iowa State's offense, which is ranked 151st. Um, so I like LSU to definitely survive and advance here and possibly even make the Sweet 16. And this whole group of eight is very vulnerable. If you're feeling frisky, an LSU elite eight has a ton of value. Uh,
0: so I agree with you with LSU. Well, you were talking, I was also doing a tiny bit of extra research for myself. They both do a great job defensively guarding the three-point percentage. Uh, opponents against LSU this season shot 28% from the three-point line. While against Iowa State, they shot 296 Both of those extremely poor clips. Something that you didn't mention, or at least I didn't hear you mention, that something I really enjoy, or not enjoy, but excites me about this LSU team is the balanced scoring attack. Yes, they have Tari Eason, who's extremely talented. Same with Darius Days. Those two combine for about... 30 points a game, but then you also have Brandon Murray. He's got 10 points a game. Eric Gaines, 9.3, Xavier Pinson, 10, and then Efton Reed off the bench, another six. You've got extremely talented scores and great size. To me, that's a combination. That's like a combination for success. Um and Brockin, Brockington, his stats are solid. He commands the floor. I just kind of, as you mentioned, LSU has a great defense. And then looking ahead, we, we have to make our decision for this, but Wisconsin and Colgate don't scare me. If I'm LSU and I, this Iowa State matchup scares me more than a Wisconsin or an L, uh, Colgate. If you ask me personally, I just think it's a closer game and that's what scares me more. I think when it comes to Wisconsin or Colgate, LSU is just, they're solid. They're solid. There's no way around it. And as you mentioned, they rank well defensively. So I'm going to join you with LSU Wisconsin-Colgate is our next one. Colgate, another popular pick um, for an upset. So you and I were at, talking about, will a 14, 15, or 16 seed win a game this year? And this is the spot, If there are, if they are going to win, it's going to be this Wisconsin game, if you ask me. Wisconsin, really, they don't do much well. They're middle of the pack offensively, middle of the pack defensively. If you don't have Johnny Davis, and I know that's a major if, it's kind of like saying if Purdue doesn't have Jaden Ivy, you don't have much, but it's true. You've got Brad Davison, who's had his second senior night this year, but otherwise, it's, it's a Johnny Davis show in Wisconsin, and there have been games this year where you see him not being able to find his shot in the mid-range, and he's hunting bad shots, and it causes their offense to play so poorly, and that's what concerns me in this matchup is Johnny Davis can't find a rhythm he's forcing bad shots and Colgate's just taking advantage of that Colgate last year when they played up against Arkansas had to play a much better defensive team than they do this year I think Nellie Cummings as well as Jack Ferguson have potential to have really great games it's an experienced team their top 5 scorers first of all all scored double digits and are junior or older guys who play meaningful minutes for them are all seniors juniors or sophomores it's an experienced team and i think experience matters come tournament time yes brad Davidson, i mentioned second senior night but still this colgate team's experience it's well coached and i just don't trust wisconsin to be completely honest and i want to take another 314 upset right here
1: yeah i mean i yeah i mean you look at this and it's like It's funny to me because, like you mentioned, with last year they had to face Arkansas. This is definitely a worse Colgate team than last year. I mean, and the metrics back that up. But this is a much worse three-seed they're facing, right? Wisconsin definitely overvalued as a three-seed. I mean, not not as much as Providence, mind you, but we're talking about a team that's, according to this field, a top-12 team who's ranked 33rd. They don't do anything great, but they do both offense and defense very well. The reason, though, Aaron, why I'm not going to be able to – truly say I think Colgate's going to win because this game is being played in Milwaukee. And when you look at a lot of the splits for some of these Wisconsin guys, they're much better at home. And that includes the likes of Chucky Heppard. who I think when you talk about Wisconsin, that he needs to be said because he's really stepped up as a freshman and he's getting better and better as we go on. I mean, he's shooting 35% from three from the year, but it does feel like when you need a bucket, even if it's from three, he'll do that. And then they have the two-headed monsters of Tyler Wall and Steven Crowell Classic, you know, gritted out kind of post up. If they're taking a three, that's what you want them to do. You, you don't want them back to the basket grinding you down. And I think that Matt Langle's squad is going to have a little bit of a hard time containing all of that. Uh, you didn't talk about Nelly, Co- or you didn't. You did talk about Nelly Cummings. Co- I'm sorry, but I think Ryan Moffat I don't know if you mentioned him. Is also somebody to look out for just because he shoots 45% from three. And so, like you said, there's no. There's no lack of options for Colgate to turn to, but it's just hard when this game is going to be played essentially in a home court environment at the Pfizer forum for, uh, for Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, for sure. And one thing, so I don't know, I haven't watched enough Colgate. Maybe it's because, Oh, he's only played one game. I was going to say there's Alex Capitano, who averages nine points a game. He was lower on the list, but that's because he's got nine points in one game. I'm not sure if he's someone who got injured or not, but so I'm going to join you on Wisconsin. Um, I wanted to take the upset, but you do mention the off, like the home court advantage. And that is extremely important, especially in college sports. Uh, I know from watching Charleston this year, the team succeeded when we had a big home crowd. And when we were on the road, you know, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to build your own uh, what's the word I'm looking for momentum. But in this case, Wisconsin's just not going to have to worry about that about building their own momentum because they're going to have a crowd. So next up, we have, I think, one of the more intriguing 7-10 matchups. Miami, who's got a really talented roster, two great guards in Cameron Mcgusty and Isaiah Wong, Charlie Moore, defensively nasty, Sam Wardenberg, a really interesting big, and Jordan Miller. They've got decent amount of size. They're switchable. They're quick. On the other hand, they go up against Evan Mobley's younger brother, Isaiah Mobley. Boogie Ellis, the, I want to say he's the Memphis transfer. I'm not mistake, mistaken. Drew Pearson, Chevez Goodwin. This is an interesting team. I'm personally leaning towards Miami. I love the size that Isaiah Mobley presents. He's 14 points a game with another eight rebounds. I'm not sure if Wardenberg can necessarily handle that. If you think about the Miami-Boston College matchup where Miami sneaked away with a win, Quinn Post had an electric start. In general, Boston College looked really good, and it didn't seem like Miami could handle the bigs. So that would be my biggest concern. I just there's been so many games this year, and maybe it's maybe we have to give Pac-12 a bit more, I guess, love for the intensity of the games. But there's been so many times this year where I just feel like USC lost games, they shouldn't have lost, or played an opponent way too close. And for me, that's a major concern in a 710 matchup. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how you feel about that. They weren't necessarily tested too much with their out-of-conference schedule. Outside of San Diego State, who they beat 58-43, to the next best team, in my t- opinion, for out-of-conference was probably... I don't even know who you would say the next best was for their out-of-conference play. You could say St. Joseph's in the A-10, Maybe. But they just – they don't they aren't as battle-tested as a team like Miami who gets to play in the ACC. Um, I know you can say Arizona and UCLA, but, again, they had some pretty questionable losses like the 61-64 Stanford, 69-79 Oregon. But drop both against Stanford is a big kind of red flag for me. So as of right now, I'm leaning towards Miami. I think – I'm not sure what you're thinking, but what do you think?
1: Well, I mean, if you're going to say you think that I'm going to kind of feel the same way about this, you're absolutely wrong because I actually like USC a lot in this matchup. I, USC, I think, is a little bit underrated, especially hearing the way you're talking. I don't know if that's how most people are talking about it, but, yeah, they didn't play much out of conference like back in December, and and they were overrated then because if you remember, they were ranked top five in the country, right, coming off a big run last year, then Mobley departs, and now they're still ranked high because they have his brother. They play nobody out of conference. I think you need to give a little love the big west they did have some nice wins against both irvine and long beach state but it doesn't change the fact that compared to a lot of teams in power conferences they didn't have quite a good out-of-conference resume and so when they went at stanford i think that kind of shocked them but you talk about those stanford losses other than that this entire year they lost one to oregon they took one from arizona without mobley and then their other losses were to either ucla or arizona so you're talking about losses that really in my opinion are very respectable miami on the other hand they're very one-dimensional to me. They shoot a lot of threes, and obviously that can win you a game, right? And they they don't turn it over a lot because they have four guards, all of whom handle the ball. But they're unbelievably undepthful. I could have said that in many better ways, but I hope my point came across. Dave, I think you're right. Like, you mentioned the guards and Charlie Moore and Jordan Miller, along with Wong and McGusty, who are obviously the stars of the team, and Wardenberg kind of patrols the middle. Other than that, they don't really play anybody who I feel like deserves meaningful minutes. You could say Anthony Walker, but I don't see it personally. And so against a matchup where you're going to be able to switch everything, right, with USC, you have 6'9", Drew Peterson, 6'10", Mobley, 6'9", Chavez Goodwin, 6'9", Max Ogden, Capolo. I just think there's too much size there, and USC will be able to get this done. Um, I do think this one could go either way, absolutely, but I would definitely tip my cap towards uh, towards Southern California here. Uh, here here's, here's, how
0: we'll dec- <laughs> here's how we'll decide this. Who do you think plays better against Auburn? Cause I, I want to give an interesting conversation for the round of 32.
1: I mean, I definitely think that just because of the size USC would have a better chance, but once again, it's
0: what, what's more important size or three point shooting. So I, unfortunately I don't know how I can really answer that. So I'm going to stay consistent with what we picked in the West bracket, which was defensive tenacity and size uh, of the Rutgers over Alabama. If Rutgers continues to hold on against Notre Dame tonight. So we're going to go with USC, uh, Teams that live and die by the three, maybe not the smartest thing to pick pick in March. So next up, Auburn, Jacksonville State. Is it just me or have you seen like a random amount of like Jacksonville State just like over Auburn? I I don't know if I'll it's say it's like people saying it sarcastically. Yeah, for a team that didn't make the tournament on their own merit, they're certainly getting a lot of love. That's what I'm saying. Like for those of you who don't understand exactly what happened so jacksonville state comes out of the uh atlantic sun and they lost to bellarmine in the conference in the conference tournament semifinal no they lost to jacksonville in the conference tournament semifinals and jacksonville a game
1: i'm just interjecting a game for jacksonville state that was at home in jacksonville alabama
0: yeah you had to make sure people understood Jacksonville State was in Jacksonville, Alabama. But point is they lost in the semifinals and Bellarmine on the other side of the bracket beat Liberty which inherently made it so that uh, Jacksonville what at least was originally believed was that Jacksonville was going to be making the NCAA either way where or not they beat Bellarmine because Bellarmine re- or I think it was just this is their first year in D1 and there's this is uh, our second year Thank you, Sammy. And I, I don't totally understand, but there's like a four-year process or five-year process that basically once you come up... Something two, stupid. Something stupid that once you come up to D1, you can't go to the tournament. There's going to be a few teams this year, uh, like Lindenwood joining, I want to say the OVC is who they're joining, or maybe it's uh, the Horizon League. They're going to have to deal with that. But point is, Bellarmine, who ended up winning the conference tournament, was not allowed to go to the tournament. And Jacksonville State, having had the best record in the A Sun in the regular season, got to go to the tournament. We talk about another team in this uh, region who had the best record, won their conference, was uh, Creighton, overseated? Jacksonville State in this case, or not Creighton, sorry, Providence. Jacksonville, this, Jacksonville State in this case just genuinely doesn't deserve to be here. I'm taking Auburn, Zep Jasper, J.D. Davidson, Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler, among many other talents. No question to me, I don't know why Jacksonville State is getting so much respect. Like, if, I, if I'm if i Auburn, that's just something, like, I'm saying to my guys, like, they genuinely don't deserve to be here. They shouldn't stay.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: I, I don't know how much we
1: need to talk about this because this would be absolutely shocking to me. I mean, Jacksonville State hasn't beaten – anybody this year. The A-Sun was terrible, and they played, as far as I could tell, they only played three games against opponents in the top 100 in Kempong. That was at Alabama, which they obviously lost. That was at VCU, which they lost by 14 with VCU's best player. And it was the first game of the year at Wichita State, which they also couldn't win. Um, In conference, they just weren't tested. And when they were, they lost to Jacksonville, right? And I don't want to get into it right now, but the fact that Jacksonville beats Jacksonville State and doesn't get the respect of earning a bid over them I don't know what to say to that, especially when you also say, why well, didn't it go to Liberty, who happened to be in the tougher part of the A-Sun where it's a split-split East-West kind of thing. Jacksonville State took an easy schedule to a regular season tournament win, got upset in their tournament, and now here they are against an Auburn team that is so underrated. It's crazy to me. And you you said it yourself. You set it up for, like, you're, you're going to be like, oh, I don't like this Auburn team. You, USC or Miami, take them down. Yes, that's true. It's March. But I'm getting passionate about this because I don't understand this is a team – that was ranked number what, one in the country recently. And I agree that eight people doesn't mean everything. They were for sure top two, and then they lost at Arkansas, right? Since then, they've won every game except at Florida by one in a game Florida absolutely needed, at Tennessee by five in a game that they gave away, and then Texas A&M made a nice run, okay? That was a pretty bad loss to them. If anything, I think that humbled them, right? We're talking about Walker Kessler, who could put up 10 blocks on any given night, which I think is just insane, and I alluded to it a little bit earlier that I would like to see an Auburn LSU sweet 16 game. What happened last time they played Walker Gessler, 11 blocks. I mean, this is a really crazy defensive player. Jabari Smith. Is there a more NBA ready player in college? Maybe no, not. There isn't. And so you combine that with the likes of Wendell Green with the likes of Katie Johnson, Alan Flanagan off the bench, Jalen Williams. I love, and I haven't even mentioned Zepp Je- Zep Jasper, who you mentioned earlier. I, Zeb Jasper, is that a uh, Charleston transfer?
0: Zeb Jasper, the Charleston transfer. He's nicknamed Honey Badger because of his defensive enta- uh, like tenacity. Uh, I interviewed him last year on a podcast. Super nice guy. You see it. Uh, if you follow him on Instagram, he's always reposting photos and videos of him, spending time with the fans. Just want to give him a bit of love. He's a really great guy. The fans in Auburn have just embraced him so much. Uh, he fits the Bruce Pearl gotta play defense, gotta work hard mindset. So, I'm just happy for him there. And I'm we're going to work our way up, so we're going to go into the Auburn USC matchup right now. I don't for everything you said about USC and their switching capabilities, I get they have that. But they don't have Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith, you know. To me, this as you said this Auburn team is so drastically underrated. I think as I just mentioned, I think J.D. Davidson, Wendell Green, and Zep Jasper just taking turns harassing the heck out of Drew, uh, not Drew Pearson, out of Boogie Ellis is just, it's going to be too much. Ethan Harrison off the bench is definitely not going to be able to handle it. I think Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, their size is perfect against this USC roster. You mentioned what makes USC so good against Miami is the size I they have on the four-guard, three-point shooting lineup. Miami, uh, of Miami, Auburn can shoot the three. They can play in the post. Jabari Smith can take over at any point if he wants to. He's had an insanely incredible year. Uh, he's averaging 17 points, seven rebounds. He's shooting 43, 42, 81. He is extremely talented. He's shooting 5.4 three pointers a game, Sammy. He's shooting 42 as a 6'10 big man. Uh, I absolutely love this team, and I don't see much of an argument for USC. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know I'm going to pick Auburn here, and I made that clear already, but just a little bit of devil's advocate for the sake of the podcast, right? And here's my biggest concern with Auburn overall, and I'll also explain why I don't think it will come back to bite them in this specific matchup. Um, And actually, looking back, we should pick Miami if you want somebody to rival Auburn, because I think that they really could take advantage of this. Auburn, other than Jabari Smith, doesn't really have shot makers, right? guys who can create for themselves and get you a shot when you need it the most. So if Jabari Smith gets in a situation where either he has to force something up, which is never good, you know, he's capable, but it's never ideal or you have to have somebody else beat you. That's going to be tough. The issue for me is USC is not going to be able to beat them on the free throw line. We're talking about a team that shoots 66% as a team that's less than two out of every three. So, you know, it was a matter of time until I brought in free throws to it and, USC, that's a very damaging statistic in a situation where they might have to close out Auburn late. Um, it would be a fun game. And it's, you know, definitely always crazy to see like the seven or ten give the two seed a big run. It's very unusual, I think, for all two seeds to make it out of here, which it seems like we're trending towards picking, unless we use something crazy over in the east. But I'm definitely going to take Auburn uh over USC, and I would also take them over London.
0: Yeah. So that one was kind of a no-brainer, which makes us jump to the LSU-Wisconsin matchup. Sammy, before we get into it, is this also in Milwaukee? Is Wisconsin going to have I'm not there? entirely
1: sure. I believe so, but
0: I, I don't know for sure. I'll, I'll do some research. Why don't you kick this one off for us while I check that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to kick this one off for us while you check that, Aaron. Um, To me, this is going to be an interesting game because I actually – like. I do think it's at Milwaukee, right? Um, And you can correct me if I'm wrong at any time uh, or interject and say I'm right. But if it wasn't, I think that LSU would be favorited in this game. I mean, (laughs) not to sound like a broken record, but from a predictive metric standpoint, LSU, we're talking about a team who's 19th in Ken Palm rank, 68th offense, fourth best defense facing Wisconsin team, who's 33rd overall because they don't do anything great. They're 46th in offense, 38th in defense, very solid, but not top of the line. Aaron, what we didn't talk about with LSU, though, and I don't really know too much about because I'm not around, you know, a team like you are, so I'd be interested to see how you feel about this. LSU parted ways with Coach Will Wade, right, last week uh, after their loss to Arkansas. How is that, you think, going to affect the guys going into a tournament like this?
0: So here's my personal opinion, and this, isn't, this is me being around a team and just – my opinion on coaching in basketball or any sport in general, it takes a coach's system time to gel. Imei, Udoka, with the Boston Celtics, everyone was out on them to start the season. Look at where they're at now. Wes unsel Jr., it's harder for him because he's working with a less talented roster. Same with Willie Green. But the point is, it still takes time for teams to gel. And I think such a quick turnaround. First of all, I think for a team's coach to get fired in the conference. It was during the conference tournament, right? Yeah. I don't know if he was technically fired. I'm very confused by the situation. Also it's in Milwaukee. Just, I just found that. Yeah. So we're not here. He was fired. So he was fired, which means I believe they're going to have an interim coach there. And to me, that's a major issue because it's also team performance is partially a coach, but it's also how well a players can execute a coach's game plan. So that is an indictment of the players when the coach is fired because it's saying his system wasn't good, but you guys also weren't good enough to run his system to give the chance to really do well. Well,
1: I will have to interject, though, just so you know, uh, the reason that Wade was fired wasn't anything with coaching. It was a misconduct issue. So it's from a standpoint of how does a coach change in terms of just the morale psyche of the team? Because just chiming in what I do know, which is the NFL, usually like that first game they win. And even with, um, what's his name, up in Michigan when he had to step down. Uh, when Jordan John Howard stepped down. Yeah, Michigan actually what was pretty good then. I think they went three and two in a tough Big Ten road. And so I, it's something possible to just playing a little devil's advocate. But I, I'm sure you're right. The question, I guess, becomes if they do survive that first game, how big of an issue is it that Kevin Nickelberry will be serving as an interim coach in such a meaningful game against Wisconsin in essentially a road environment?
0: Well, so – Something that I know assistant coaches tend to do, and you, you've seen John Shire do it for Duke this year, um, and it's different because he's becoming the head coach, is associate head coaches slash assistant coaches. There's typically one that's prepared the step up in the case of a coach being sick or something like this. So it's not like he's completely unprepared. My biggest thing for him will be is sometimes assistant coaches are focused on such a niche part. Like, kind of like in football, you've got defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators. The question is if he'll be able to coach a balanced enough game or if one aspect of their entire play is going to falter. And that is something that would concern me personally. I think the guys are going to rally behind him, though, because it's different. One thing I'll – I know you mentioned in NFL they win. One thing that I think is different about the situation – is this is March Madness? Guys don't want to go home. They want a chance to win the national championship. They want a chance to make a run. And I think there's just going to be a different level of intensity and just, hey, this is not the situation we had hoped for coming in, but it doesn't mean we're not going to work as hard as possible. You know, like I think that's something that LSU will have. And there's a world where it's like, I don't know what the misconduct was, but maybe the LSU guys loved still loved Will Wade. And they want to do it for him, you know? So there, there's so many different narratives that can come out of this. But it doesn't concern me as much as I think it would. And if I'm not mistaken, Wisconsin's coach is Greg Gard, right? Uh, Wisconsin, yeah. The silent assassin. Yeah. So I actually forget what I was going to say. But the point is – it was going to be really good
1: and I was going to end up being like, that's amazing.
0: Thank you. The point is it doesn't concern me as I as much as I think you think it would. And to me, it still comes down to how hard they're gonna play. And I like LSU here, despite the fact that it, it's at home for Milwaukee. What is the difference in splits? You mentioned it when we talked about their first round matchup. Well, it's not it's not just it's just in general. Like it's not specifically, I don't think, with
1: Wisconsin. In general, like you know Houston, of course, on Michigan. He can't shoot at home for some reason. There's just weird things like that that are unusual. But in this situation, like, it just it just helps to have the home crowd behind you. You said it with Charleston. It's no difference with a big tent.
0: Yeah. This doesn't change my mind that I don't trust Wisconsin, and I personally would like to take LSU. I like the SEC intensity, um, and I don't think the coaching is such a big issue and as I said, as you mentioned, LSU a great defensive team. And as I mentioned when we were talking about the Wisconsin Colgate matchup, what happens if Johnny Davis' shot is not falling by the second media timeout? Let's say we get to uh, the 11-minute mark. Johnny Davis has what four points? He's two of seven from the field. He hasn't got a chance. Now, to what get if it? he has two fouls? Well, if he's got two, if he gets in foul trouble, then I love LSU even more. But more so, if he can't get to the line, can't get his shots, I just don't think the talent is there for the rest of the team. Uh, that's my honest opinion, and I, I like LSU more.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to just say you like LSU and then that's not a hot take for anymore, I'm going to give you an even hotter take. And this is obviously going to be up for debate and probably like pretty scrutinized. Uh, LSU had 22 wins this year, right, and Wisconsin had 24. Within that framework, I'm going to go ahead and say that the best player on the floor is not going to be Johnny Davis. I genuinely believe that Tari Eason is maybe the most underrated player you're going to find in all of college basketball. I'm just a huge supporter of him. I think he is the size that Johnny Davis lacks, right? Playing that four guard that can handle the ball like Jabari Smith, I think he's very underrated. And when you look at the advanced numbers on him, uh, in terms of win, like win shares essentially, which is a stat from my uh, team rankings, Johnny Davis has accounted for 8.2, right, of the 24 wins for Wisconsin. Tari Eason's accounted for 9.2 of the 21 wins
0: for LSU. Yeah, he's great. He's a Cincinnati transfer. This year alone, he's you. typically when you think of a guy transferring up a, a conference, AAC to SEC, you expect him to kind of take a step back in his scoring and his numbers in general, and that's just the opposite for Tar I think that says something about him. He went from 7 points to 17 six rebounds to seven, uh, another steal a game. His fouls, his turnovers, his blocks stayed the same, which means he's consistent in the small little aspects of the game. What's also worth mentioning, Sammy, and this is insane to me. We talked about the defensive rating that uh, San Diego State has at 87, being number one in the country. Tari Eason has a defensive rating of 82.9, so call it 83. I don't know for certain where that ranks among players at his position in general. But to me, that's insane. He was all SEC first team. Um, The guy is extremely talented. He's got a box plus minus of 14.8 with defensive box plus minus of 5.8. And I mentioned that great greatest defense is, Sammy, offensive rating of 119, which you want to know what that's just one shy of? San Diego, uh, South Dakota State's offensive rating as a team. This guy produces offense like no one else it's yeah i mean and, and i'm gonna
1: ask you to expose yourself a little bit here would it be fair to say that before you did that research you probably didn't think of Eason as that kind of guy
0: i didn't think of him as that guy that guy i knew he was great i knew he was the lsu i knew he was it for lsu but until i did my research for him i didn't realize he was that guy
1: yeah I mean, he deserves to be talked about with the trace jackson davis is the world in terms of how meaningful they are to their teams this is a very talented player
0: extremely and are we in agreement of taking LSU here saying up an sec sweet 16? Yeah. Let's set up the Walker Kessler 11 blocks game. Sounds good. Let's move up to the next one. Iowa versus South Dakota state. This might, I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with this, but to me, this is just who can shoot the three ball better is what it's probably going to come down to who can defend and shoot the three better. It's, it's who's hitting, who's not. And, I'm just going to ride – both of them are hot hands. I'm going to ride the slightly more talented with a better – with probably the best on-ball defender in Keegan Murray between the two teams, and I'm taking Iowa. Uh, It's plain and simple to me. Do you have a contrarian pick to that, or do you like Iowa as well?
1: No, I mean, from a contrarian pick standpoint, Iowa to the Sweet 69 is already enough of that, right? And so I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to say that a little bit of a difference is just that the difference for me between Iowa and South Dakota State, among many things, is that Iowa can play some defense, which you're not going to get from South Dakota State. So when the game slows down in the last five minutes, who do you trust defensively to get you those stops? Iowa.
0: Yeah. Uh, That one's pretty straightforward. It's also the 513, you know, a bit of anchoring and taking the higher seed, you know, just have to throw it out there. San Diego State, Kansas. Is this where Kansas falls? Is, is Kansas going to fall in the round of 32 to the insanely talented South uh, San Diego State defense? What do you feel about that?
1: Well, I, I think I'm going to send it back to you in a second, so just be ready. But what I do want to say is, I would, I want to get your opinion on this. To me, Kansas is probably going to have a tougher time, whether you like them or not, to win and advance against San Diego State than Iowa. I think Kansas really struggles against those teams that play you tough on defense, right? That's not what they're going to get from Iowa. I think when you look at a team like Iowa, how do you beat them? You got to match their scoring to a certain extent. And I think Kansas is capable of that, but is Kansas able to match the defensive intensity of San Diego state.
0: I'm not sure if they are. And if you think about games, Sammy, where they play really talented defenses from this season, Texas tech at home took them to double overtime. Now it became an extremely high scoring game but they went to double overtime against them. Against Texas Tech at Texas Tech, they were held the 67 points for a team that averages 78 points per game. These defensive teams really make them struggle. If you, uh, Another good example of this is when they played at Texas. They still got close to their typical scoring number. of seven, They got 76 this one. They lost. Uh, TCU, great, another solid, great defensive team. They put up 64 points. They are vulnerable to have poor games to defensive teams, and that's what San Diego State is. San Diego State, as I mentioned ahead of time, number one defensive rating in the country, number two points against. They only give up 57 points per game. That is a 21-point differential. Now, I'm not saying Kansas is going to be held to 57 points, but you can't expect them to have the same offensive production against a team like this. San Diego State, it's it's kind of crazy, Sammy. When you think about great defensive teams, you think about a lot of crazy length and talent, like and size. Their top guys that play, their, first, their top two guys, Matt Bradley, Trey Pullum, in minutes per game, 6'4", 6'3", nothing crazy. It's not like they play this insanely large lineup like you mentioned with USC. They're just bought in. They play great defense. They force 14 turnovers a game. Uh, They steal the ball seven times a game. They share the ball. They rebound well. They do all the little things important, like very well. Uh, The one concern for me is they let teams get up 23 pointers a game on them. Now, it depends on the quality of look, but I'm just saying if you let a guy like Ochai Agbaji, I hope I didn't completely butcher that, it's going to be concerning to me he shoots 40% from the field on seven attempts a game or from three on seven attempts a game alone. So that would be concerning for me, but it's not insane to say San Diego state wins this thing.
1: No, I mean, definitely not. We're finally looking at one seat that's legitimately vulnerable for a myriad of reasons. And this is a Like, like you, like I said, and you responded, it's, it's, this is the kind of game that Kansas would struggle in. Can San Diego state dictate the pace that they want to dictate Kansas plays at the 68 fastest pace in the country. If they dictate the pace, they'll probably pull it out. But San Diego State plays in a bottom 100 pace in the country. If they dictate the pace, they'll have a great chance to pull it out. The problem, just like with, US, well, just like with Auburn, um, and obviously San Diego State's not as good as Auburn, is that they don't have guys that can get you a shot other than Matt Bradley. Like, not at all. Uh, Matt Bradley shoots 40% from three. Chad Baker, for them, is more of a catch-and-shoot guy, but he shoots 38%. They don't have anybody else who shoots well let alone like really well but just well at all um there really is going to be have to. there really is going to have to be a specific roadmap for them to win but we just laid it out how possible it is for that roadmap to occur so i'll defer to you here and who, who are we going to have advancing here at the end of the day
0: so I, I don't want to spoil the east too much but i don't think it's crazy to say that one if not two of the first uh, number one seeds lose in the round 32 I think it's fun to take a out there pick. You know, it's March Madness. Crazier things have happened. And so I want to take San Diego State. I want to also compare the blistering hot offense of Iowa against the lockdown defense of San Diego State. So let's say San Diego State, it's gonna be fun. Let's rock with it. Work for you?
1: Yeah, if you want to rock with it, it's gonna be fun. It works for me.
0: What do you want to go with first? San Diego State, Iowa, or LSU Auburn?
1: Well, yeah, so we're going to switch it up a little bit from what we said at the beginning of the podcast. And just for a matter of time, we're going to maybe we'll release like artificial picks because it really is disappointing we didn't get around to talk about the East, which I think is as fascinating as anything. But we'll talk about them a lot in the 12 in the uh, Sweet 16 rounds next week. But um, so, yeah, going to through the Sweet 16 Elite 8 last three games are from the Midwest, uh, we can start it with LSU Auburn, Aaron, and tell me what you think about this SEC rematch.
0: So I pulled up a little history on this matchup in general. I just thought it was worth mentioning. Auburn in uh history in historically against Louisiana State, 68 and 85. So LSU obviously has no number. We haven't seen as good of an Auburn team like this in a long time. We saw a great LSU team many times. Something worth mentioning is in their last matchup, Sammy on this uh December 29th, 2021. I think that was their last one. Hopefully that's accurate. LSU put up 55 points, Sammy. You mentioned uh Walker Kessler with 11 blocks is just an insanely crazy number. Something worth mentioning though in that game, uh LSU shot 20% from 3. That's not necessarily a sustainable number. They shot 65% from the free throw line and 28.6 from the field in general. So to me, that does concern me a bit because if you flip it on the other side, 43% from the field for Auburn, 30% from three also 65% from the free throw line, but they got six more attempts that game. So it's not clear in a way cut. I just still think this Auburn team is drastically underrated. I think the talent in Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler, Alan Fanagan, Katie Johnson, Zeb Jasper, Wendell Green, uh, it's just too much. There's someone I'm forgetting, and I'm going to have to double-check because I'd feel bad. Devin Cambridge, another guy. The thing for me that you mentioned about guys not being able to create their own shot, he hasn't been given the green light at uh, at Auburn, but watching Zeb Jasper last year, he can create his own shot. He can get downhill extremely quick and finish through contact. It's unlikely that they would call on him in this game, but I don't think it's an insane thought to say – he could end up doing a great job. So I I just want to give some love to him and I want to give some love to their guards in general. They can't create like Jabari can, but it's not like they can't get downhill, lay it off to Walker Kessler. If you are struggling to find offense, that's a way to do it. Um, Walker Kessler has great size and I think that's something worth mentioning. I personally am going to take the Auburn Tigers in this one. As I mentioned, I think they're just drastically underrated and I want to give them the love they deserve.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. I can tell you for absolute certain and the Tigers will win.
0: Sammy. Okay. Yes, if if I, I, Sammy, I, if I could do it like audio post, if I could do some post editing, I would get like the badumch in there or something. That that I not mean, expect
1: that from you.
0: That was something, Sammy. I but go it. ahead. Uh,
1: yes. So Auburn, I just. Man, they're underrated. I don't know how else to put it. Like, I had said it when we had first started talking about LSU, Iowa State, and how that was a vulnerable group of four. And then I was like, oh, and it's really a vulnerable group of eight, and LSU can make the Elite Eight. And that's true. Auburn is so poised to make a run here, Aaron. They have a vulnerable one state in Kansas who, if they did make the Elite Eight, Auburn, I think would beat them. Iowa, I think would give them the hardest test. And so, unfortunately, that looks like what they're headed towards in our opinion, but. This is a great Auburn team. I think you said it best yourself with what you had there. And um, you're right. Like maybe I am overlooking the fact that some guys who, even though I say they don't have shot creators, maybe it's just guys who will step up when it matters the most. Um, And I just want to talk a little bit more about the fact that Auburn, they lost to Arkansas in OT. They lost to Connecticut in double OT. And they had three other losses the entire year, all against top 50 teams and all quad one losses. They they do not lose games that they're not supposed to, and for the most part, I think LSU in a neutral court game in Illinois of all places, neither teams really have too much of an advantage. I, I think Auburn should really pull this one out.
0: I'm with you on that. And something else that I want that I want to mention is Bruce Pearl is kind of – like I know it's it's stupid to say a coach is an X factor, but the energy he brings if he finds enough clips of people talking poorly about this Auburn team and how they're underrated. The way he can use that to motivate his players, I think is something that he is extremely talented in. He's such a players coach. You see him like there was a clip during the uh, NCAA football season where he was like taking off his shirt with all of his players at one of the games. Like he has guys who are willing to go to war for him. And I think that's something that, is an intangible and really important when it comes to March is the way a coach can lead you. And now I know I said, I didn't think the LSU was much of an issue that they don't have Will Wade, but having Bruce Pearl is a genuine, aside from a X and O's advantage, it's a genuine morale and momentum advantage, in my opinion. No, I think it's
1: fair to say that, although they might not have too much of a difference over Will Wade, that Bruce Pearl's in a different category of coach. I think that's more than fair.
0: Yeah. So, San Diego State defense, Iowa offense. You know who I want to pick, and that's just because I'm in love with them. <laughs> I'm in love with this Iowa team as well. It's going to pain me to pick a team to send to the Final Four because Iowa, if if you agree with me for Iowa, Iowa and Auburn are my two teams that I just adore this year. They're so fun to watch. I have the tie from Zepp Jasper, which gets me watching Auburn. Iowa, it's a fun offense to watch. There's no way around it. What do you think necessarily is a key determiner in this matchup? So now I'm going to say
1: that it's so fascinating to me, this concept. And most likely we're not going to get it for many reasons, because first of all, for us to see Iowa play South Dakota State and San Diego State, so many upsets need to occur. But if this does happen, it's just so fascinating. How will Iowa respond after playing an amazing offensive team that can't play defense, turning around four days later, playing a team that plays all defense, no offense, I, I really don't know where to go here. I mean, I'm going to lean Iowa with you for a lot of reasons. This is going to be the second straight week. San Diego State's going to be on the other side of the country. Iowa and the United Center should have many more fans, right? Just as a Big Ten team and a place much more local for them than even in Auburn. And what it comes down to is like, I, I value defense over offense completely. You know that. But Iowa doesn't turn the ball over. And San Diego State, they make their living off turnovers. And especially, this is going to be a little bit weird, but I think you'll be able to follow what I'm saying here. For San Diego State, their offense comes from turnovers. So in the half court, they're not going to be able to create enough points to match Iowa, which is what it takes. And that's why I think it's so weird, because I think San Diego State matches up well with Kansas and then flips around and matches up horribly with Iowa. And so I'm going to have Iowa advancing for that reason. I think they also play defense better than San Diego State plays offense.
0: And so – I'm gonna I'm gonna have
1: Iowa going here.
0: That's cool. what I was about to say. You mentioned who is it, Trey Polymer or Matt Bradley as their shot creator? I can't remember who you said.
1: Matt Bradley's their best player.
0: So my my point is I mentioned in the last one Keegan Murray being a lockdown defender. This the same goes again. Keegan Murray is extremely talented defensively. Uh, I just think if you can limit a team that only has one offensive creator. And you were like, okay, Trey Polyam, Nathan Mensah, Keshad Johnson, Lamont Butler beat me. If you lose to them, it is what it is. But it's kind of like this is a bit of an old one. But Orlando Magic against the Cavs when LeBron was there. The year the magic, I think it's the year they went to the finals. Their strategy was, hey, we're gonna guard LeBron and we're gonna guard him well. And the rest of you have to beat us. And they didn't. And I think that's going to be the kind of situation we're going to guard Matt Bradley. We're going to take away the three point shot if we can. We're going to. The thing is, outside Matt Bradley, who takes four shots, three point shots a game, the next most is Lamont Butler, who shoots 32%. He takes 2.6 a game, which with 32% isn't even making one a game. They aren't. I don't see someone from San Diego State unless Matt Bradley is still able to overcome Iowa's defense taking over enough to put them in a place to win a game, quite simply. And for that reason, I want to take Iowa. Uh, Iowa, Auburn.
1: All right, I'm going to set the stage a little bit here by making a comparison. Uh, This Iowa team reminds me so, so, so much of the Auburn 2019 team, Aaron, which, if you remember correctly, was the team that was a 5 seed that made that Final Four run. And I say that, you know, from a Ken Palm standpoint, of course, what else would I be saying it from? We're talking about a team, I'm going to start with Auburn in 2019, that had a really good offense, sixth in the nation, not quite as good of a defense, and it was not top 30. Um, And they managed to make a run behind Jared Harper, Chumo Kiki, Bryce Brown, these guys who are really solid players, right? And they did it from the five spot. They came in winning four games in four days in the SEC tournament, Iowa, Four games, four days in the Big Ten tournament coming in as a five seed. And it's that kind of momentum that carries into that, into March Madness and through the bracket, right? So Iowa ranked 13th right now in Ken Palm. Auburn was ranked 13th in Ken Palm the time that they got in. I mean, these are very similar situations. And then you look and, and you look at the path that Auburn took and they beat very good competition, much harder competition than we would have Iowa beat so far. And so that is going to be the difference for me because I think Iowa, if if their path looks like this, South Dakota state after Richmond and then San Diego state, they haven't been tested, not in the tournament at least. And so I think Auburn is a legitimate test. And I think Auburn has that experience factor to kind of get it done over Iowa. And so I'm going to lean Auburn. I know you like Iowa, so I'm, I'm interested to hear, I would like for you to make the case for Iowa and it'll we'll end up making our official decision.
0: Okay. So to make the case for Iowa, one thing that you have to mention is Auburn as a team gives up 21 three-point shots a game, and you have a team like Iowa who takes uh, 25 a game. So it's likely to me that Iowa, if they want to, is going to get off the three-point shots they want to take. As a team, they are extremely talented, shooting 37% from three, which I know is no South Dakota State University, but 37% from three is extremely impressive. They turn over the ball, less than 10 times a game. Now Auburn forces 15 turnovers a game, but they themselves turn it over 12 times, while Iowa forces 11 turnovers. That is a major key to me. Iowa pushes the ball in transition as well. They have the size. It's not as good as Auburn's size, but you. it's not the end of the world if you're guarding, let's say, so you put Keegan Murray on Jabari Smith, right? No question about that. Chris Murray... Well,
1: I would, I would actually, okay. I just want to argue that point because I don't think you can because you can't risk the foul trouble.
0: So you're saying Keegan Murray on Walker Kessler instead, then?
1: I mean, I don't know how they're going to handle Walker Kessler.
0: That's But I that also don't think Walker Kessler's
1: offensive game is so advanced.
0: That'd be my concern. And you can put a Patrick McCaffrey or a Chris Murray or a Philip Rabratza. I think well, it's how you it. you saw they did it. this a
1: lot, actually, against Purdue, where they went small against Travion Williams. But I feel like. Um, I feel like Walker Kessler is going to play more than 20 minutes a game.
0: Yeah. Walker Kessler definitely will. But at the same time you said he doesn't have the craziest offensive game. He's not going to space the floor too much. And if you, if he wants to keep shooting, if he wants to shoot the three, I need to double check the stats, but I'm pretty sure you're okay with that. Yeah. He's a 20% three point shooter on one and a half attempts a game. You're not scared of Walker Kessler shooting the three. So also, if they do go small, like they did against Purdue, you draw Walker Kessler out of the paint, and that gives room for guys like Jordan Bohannon to go downhill, Keegan Murray to get downhill. Like Your offensive guys can get going, and that is a benefit of the small ball lineup. So I think that is another roadmap to them. Pushing the ball in transition, trying to draw Walker Kessler and or Jabari Smith away from the paint as much as you can. And really, if I'm being honest, you got to shoot. 40% 40% from three most likely. I know that's a crazy number, but Auburn is just too talented, too deep in my opinion. And they have the size and those are major keys in beating a team like Iowa. I want to take Iowa, but it just makes sense to take Auburn. I think they're the better team. Um, and I think Jabari it's Smith. Funny. Is, you were
1: convincing me about Iowa. Now you're changing your mind.
0: Uh, you I was at, ready. I was ready to run through the Iowa wall. You you asked me to play devil's advocate and take Iowa. I don't think it's insane to say they win, Sammy. I really I don't want to take Iowa. I, here's the thing. And maybe we should take Iowa because I really want to. It just seems so crazy that I'm not sure if I should.
1: Now, Aaron, I'm going to say something. You don't end the podcast.
0: This is March. Is it anarchy, Sammy, or is it just college basketball? Hard to say right now. You know, still, I <laughs> I think also,
1: like, you look at our bracket so far, and and it is smart to kind of throw in a, a dark horse Final Four team when you have two one seeds already, right? And this year, like, first of all, I hope we get this Iowa Auburn matchup because talking about this is so much fun, looking at this is so much fun, and so I can only imagine what it would be like to watch it. Now I guess I could play devil's advocate. The one thing Iowa also has going for them is this game would be United Center, Mm -hmm. and they should have a better following in that situation. But I I personally would probably take Auburn, but for this sake, I think it might be fun to take Iowa. And I want to clarify why I say that, though, and it's not because I'm trying to mislead anybody. It's more just I would take Auburn because I think it's a much better chance they even make the Elite Eight. But
0: if Iowa were to get here, I think they could beat Auburn, sure. It's also if they were to get here, it means they're hot. Like realistically, I mean, I'm saying the way we have them getting here is like
1: not that great competition.
0: I know it's not that great competition, but still to get here either way, let's say they it's not the way we have them getting here, but it's the way that they still get there. Let's say they have to go through Providence instead and Kansas and they still make it. They're hot. And if they if they take down Providence and Kansas, I'd probably be backing Iowa at that point. Yeah, no, I think we should go for it. So let's take Iowa. So I'm just gonna Okay. Whatever you want. I'm gonna quickly recap this section and then Sammy, you and I will we'll find a way to get out. Maybe we make like a quick podcast if in the morning, or you text me your picks and I uh I uh, figure out and I'll record a quick one, get it up before noon. We'll figure that out. But just to run through it, we got Kansas being Texas Southern, San Diego State being Creighton, Iowa beating Richmond, South Dakota State being Providence, LSU beating Iowa State. Wisconsin beating Colgate, USC beating Miami, Auburn beating Jacksonville, then going back up, San Diego State beating Kansas, Iowa beating South Dakota State in probably like a 170-point game. Not actually, but something super high. LSU taking the upset over Wisconsin. Auburn beating USC. Auburn then beating LSU to advance to the Elite Eight. Iowa beating San Diego State to advance to the Elite Eight. Iowa making the Final Four. And you know what? If that happens, I'll be a very happy and excited person because I think that would be such a fun team to watch. Uh, I have no idea how they would deal with the size of Arizona. We talk about the size of Auburn. I think at that point it would be
1: more fun if Auburn were playing them.
0: Yeah. But either way, this has been absolutely great. We will figure out a way to distribute our picks for the East region. And like I said, next week we'll have – What if I just?
1: What if I just give a quick tip about the East region?
0: Just Go one ahead. word. Kentucky. Can I give two words? Sure. Four words, actually. Murray State. North Carolina over Baylor. Anarchy? Nah. Okay. Just Brady Manic. Yep. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. Keep an eye out for the rest of our pods. We'll probably have one or two next week about Sweet 16. Then probably another one for, if I had to guess final four, maybe even one for the finals, probably have some guests for those. It'll be a great time. Once March Madness ends, we'll be gearing towards the NFL draft, NBA draft, and just the NBA playoffs. There's going to be a lot to come. Keep an ear out. Thank you guys so much for listening. As we're going to be ending all these March Madness podcasts, this is March.